This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Five games in three days as we set you up for a busy week seven in the NLL. Cody Jamison and the Halifax Thunderbirds look to go to 4-0. Joel McCready and the Vancouver Warriors looking to stop a two-game losing streak as they go to Philadelphia. And Rich Lisk is no longer the leader of the pack. All that more on OTCB. Good lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, Spotify, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome to the show. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on the old Twitter box at Off the Crossbar. A quiet week six in the National Lacrosse League with just two games, but they were... Two very intense contests. A heck of a game in Colorado as the Warriors and Mammoth went back and forth. A slow start for Colorado, down 4-0, down 6-2, just 30 seconds into the second quarter. But Dylan Ward, Joey Capito, and that transition game of the Colorado Mammoth really stepped it up in the final three quarters of that game as they knock off Vancouver. And Colorado has now won three in a row. And they'll head to Halifax to take on the 3-0 Halifax Thunderbirds. We'll talk to Cody Jamison momentarily. And then the other game the past weekend was Philadelphia taking on New York. A new rivalry maybe in the National Lacrosse League. Two cities that are in close proximity to each other. Wings had the lead. Allowed the Riptide to get right back into that game. Tying at 12-12. Just about seven minutes left in that contest. But... The Wings just too good on the night as they take it 15-12. Now they have won two in a row. First time in franchise history. The new franchise, that is. And they'll look for three wins in a row as they welcome the Vancouver Warriors to town Friday night. The lone game on Friday. Three games on Saturday and then one on Sunday. We'll touch base a little bit on those games as this show goes on. But... The Halifax Thunderbirds have to be the early story so far in the National Lacrosse League's 1920 season. I don't think too many people saw them 3-0, but in the early stages, they've looked good. Now, they haven't exactly had the toughest of schedules to start the year, and that's not anything that we can hold them accountable for because that's all up to the draw and how the schedule is laid out. But they had New York and Rochester to start the year, the two new expansion teams. And then they took on Buffalo, who was only playing their second game of the year. So now they're 3-0, but they're starting to get into the meat of their schedule. Their next seven games, six of them are against West Division opponents, Colorado, San Diego, Toronto, and Saskatchewan, sorry, Toronto's Calgary and Saskatchewan. And they'll also play four of their next six at home. So for a brand new franchise trying to build a fan base, one, winning is important. Two, keeping home fans entertained and active is important. So this next stretch of games could be very vital for this Halifax franchise. 
And you have to give a lot of credit to Micah Kersey and his coaching staff because while the Rock, sorry, <laughs> there's a fine. While the Halifax team is fairly cohesive in the fact that they were Rochester last year, so the turnover isn't as huge for this new coaching staff. The coaching staff is new to this group. So you could understand if there was a bit, a little bit of a slow learning curve from players to coaching staff trying to figure out new systems. But give all the credit to Micah Kersey and that leadership group in Halifax for making that transition as seamless as possible. And they don't seem like they've missed a beat at the start of this new season. But like I said, it is a busy stretch and an important stretch for the Halifax Thunderbirds. Cody Jameson is their captain. He is one of the key pieces of that club and one of the key pieces in the game of lacrosse, an incredible ambassador, a speaker of the game, a teacher of the game, but also a student of the game. Cody Jameson has never felt that he needs to be complacent. He is always trying to get better, always trying to improve himself, and always trying to make the game better than it was before him. Like I said, he's an incredible ambassador and an even better person and one heck of a dad, too. Number 88, teammates of the Halifax Thunderbirds. Cody Jameson right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast talking all things from canoe trips, family, Iroquois Nationals, and Christmas with the kids. There's the pass. Jameson shoots and scores! A little jam there for Halifax, and they're within one. The captain with a very timely goal and not wasting any time whatsoever with that power play marker. Just a little back and forth. Peterson gets that ball, finds Jamison who comes around that Banesh pick and that just frees up enough space for Jamison. Whether he's on his right side, his wrong side, inside, outside, the guy knows how to put the ball in the net. Uh, happy New Year and all of that good stuff. How excited has the New Year been for you and the family? Must have been a busy one. Yeah. You know, came in, uh, came in like a hurry. You know, three, three young children at home. You know, Christmas time was a little bit hectic, and I'm glad it's over. And uh, you know, glad we moved, we moved on from the holidays. Did it help having uh, a little bit of time away from from the team to to enjoy the holidays with the family? Yes and no. It's always uh, it's always good to you know be able to stay home and spend time with them. But you know, it's. Uh, you, you get so used to seeing the boys every weekend that you definitely start missing missing that team uh, atmosphere in the in the dressing room too. Did I see you ran into the mimical mauler? Yes, uh, he, he actually is a he's a firefighter on uh, here in Six Nations. So um, I got a couple Chancy Johnsons, another firefighter from um, that for the Six Nations, and uh, you know he reached out and said Rory was looking to trade a jersey. Of course I'll do that. You know, Rory was one of my favorite teammates of all time. So, um, you know, it was an honor for me to, you know, to go meet him and get one of his jerseys because, like I said, I, I love the guy. He was one of the greats of our sport, maybe a little bit misunderstood, but he had a vital role in our game, didn't he? 
He did, and uh, you know he was a, he was more than what everybody thought. You know he was a great locker room guy. Everybody loved him. You know he made Team Canada as a defenseman. So you know everybody knows that there's no fighting at the World Games. So you know there wouldn't be any reason for uh, for a fighter to be included on a you know not just any team. You know included on Team Canada, and uh, you know he made that team as a defenseman, as a hard-nosed defenseman. So I think that speaks volumes of uh, of his abilities. Speaking of uh, the World Games, obviously the Worlds were in Langley this past summer. What was your experience like putting on the Iroquois crest one more time? It's always special, um, you know, putting that on. There's, uh, you know, a lot of the times it's it's hectic. You don't know uh, if you're going to be able to make it. You don't know whether your passport's going to be accepted or not. But, um, you know, whenever it's hosted in North America, you know, United States, Canada, you know, you know, you're going to get to send a pretty good team. Um, and you know for sure that you're going to be able to travel there. So um, we knew going in that we are going to have a pretty good squad coming up. Uh, and, you know, it's always an honor to play with uh, play with the guys that, that also you wear the uniform. How frustrating has it been for you and your teammates and your your culture to still deal with that passport issue? Yeah, it's it's, it's – it's you know troubling for the players because all you know we wish it would it wasn't like that we wish we could just go play just everybody else and uh, you know it's it's very you know political which is which isn't why I play lacrosse you know I just want to go play lacrosse and I want to let uh, everybody else deal with the political side so it, it it's troublesome and uh, you know it's a pain in the butt but at the end of the day all the players know all the boys know that you know that's not our job. Uh, that's not our job, and our job is uh, we made the Iroquois national team. We're going to represent the Iroquois nationals to the best of our ability and, you know, try and show the world that, uh, you know, how we play lacrosse and you know, what lacrosse does for us, the medicine and everything behind it. Do you still have those days, speaking of the medicine game, where, where maybe you're not feeling 100%, your mind's not right, and, and you just need a couple hours with the stick and, and a wall and the ball to, to clear the mind? Yeah, a thousand percent. You know, it's uh, – my, my whole life, it's been that way. My whole life, it's been, you know, lacrosse has been, you know, a medicine for me. Even before I really knew about, you know, about myself and, you know, still trying to find myself, I always, you know, gravitated towards just me and my stick and, you know, being off on my own, um, you know, looking for something to throw the ball off of. I told the story a bunch of times, you know, where I lived growing up, it wasn't, uh, I didn't have a wall around me. I didn't, didn't have anything to throw the ball off of. I had a bunch of trees. So what I would do is, you know, try and find the flattest tree and shoot the ball and try and, obviously you got to try and hit it directly in the middle. Cause if you don't, then it's going to go whatever way uh, you miss it. So, you know, that's kind of what my wall was a tree and just trying to shoot it off the flattest, barest part of the tree. The, the suicide rates have always been um, a talking point amongst the native culture. How has the sport of lacrosse really helped to limit that? Because obviously it is a game for everybody, but it's very special in your culture to try and heal those kids who are, who are struggling. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something that that's rarely, you know, talked about as, as in the media, um, only when there's really an epidemic, and there's been a bunch of it lately. But um, you know, I feel lacrosse is a tool that you know we have to share more with more people. That it is a you know a powerful medicine to stop uh, to stop people's minds from thinking like that. I think everybody's minds kind of 
kind of going going away, and nobody's nobody's always on their high point, and there's low points for everybody. Um, and I think you know when you're on your low point, um, when your mind's not right and your mind's you know weakened, I think lacrosse is a good tool that you know can help can help bring that back up to par. Um, just fiddling around with a stick, or just you know learn picking up a new hobby, picking up a a new trick, a new a new way. You know, lacrosse for me at least was always a way to to help elevate my spirit a little bit and you know make me feel a little bit better about myself if I was able to you know bounce it off the sidewall 20 times instead of 18 times. You know that's a positive and that's something that I always you know look to pass on is using your stick and using a you know lacrosse as a as a tool how are your young boys with the lacrosse stick they're okay um my older son he's uh he he's really really fast um so he's he's good that way good at lacrosse that way where he gets a lot of breakaways but his his stick skills aren't his hands aren't the best um and my younger son he's more of a more of a goon he's more of a you know of a of a defenseman he just wants to body check people and um you know, play more defense and likes to hit people rather than get hit. So it's a it's a process. I don't really push lacrosse on them too much. If they want to go out and play, then we go out and play. And if not, we play hockey. You know, they just I like them playing all sports. So you know, and if if they don't pick lacrosse, they don't then we don't play lacrosse. We'll play soccer. We'll play football. Um, you know, just because I'm just because I'm good at it or just because I like to play it doesn't mean that they do. How thankful are you that Graham Hossick picked across? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm now starting to believe the hype. Um, <laughs> you know, no, I knew right from the get-go as soon as we drafted him that he was going to be a special, special one. But uh, you know, to see how far he's came in such a little time, it seems like you know, it seems like out of nowhere he just went from you know above average to you know elite superstar in uh, you know in a matter of a matter of a month or two because um, he's been awesome he's been amazing for us i'm so glad that uh you know that uh, we drafted him what did we draft him second overall mm-hmm. yeah. you know curtis, curtis dixon called him a trip tonight what do you what makes him so good i think he's got everything i think he's got uh you know the obviously the size and the strength you know the guy uh the the guy has muscles on top of his muscles um, but he's also, I've said it before, I think he might be, you know, the, the smartest man in lacrosse. Um, I think, I, I don't know if it was on your podcast or not, but I told a story when he was a rookie, we used to give the rookies like little quizzes, little quizzes, like a couple questions that they're never supposed to get. And then a couple questions about their teammates that they're supposed to maybe get. And, uh, you know, when, so when we gave it to Hoff and, and his rookie class, Nobody got the questions that they weren't supposed to get, and they got most of the teammates ones. Well, Haas got their teammates ones wrong, but he got every question that he wasn't supposed to get right, um, which you know we all laughed at that because you know, we, those were some some hard hard questions. This is a team that that's starting to come together. Obviously, the move from Rochester to Halifax was not something anybody could really predict or understand how everyone was going to react. But how proud have you been of this group? to be able to rally in a new city and start the season the way they have. Yeah, this group, this group is something special and we knew it last year. Um, you know, we lost a lot of one goal games, two goal games when we went on that skid last year and, uh, you know, the trade deadline coming and we knew there was going to be changes made, you know, no team can go, can lose six games in an 18 game league. 
and expect uh, to stay together. So we knew that uh, that changes were going to be made, and you know we knew we were we were leaving to go to Halifax. So we knew you know there's going to be there's going to be some changes. And after uh, after that trade deadline, when we finally got a win, we kind of started you know coming together and really gelling. And uh, you know we saw what happened at the end of last year. I think we I don't remember our exact standings wise after the trade deadline last year but we went on a little run and we felt like we could compete with anybody um so coming into this year we knew you know, with the with the majority of our team that we knew we had a team that could compete and we knew we what we had in our locker room so um you know this isn't a surprise to us this is this this start that we've had you know we've worked hard you know the coaching change really you know emphasized hard work and not being outworked so this this start that we've had isn't isn't a surprise, but at the same time, we started years previous with uh, you know two and zero, and then lost the next six or seven. So, um, you know, we're just taking it one week at a time, and you know, making sure that we buckle down. Yeah, you guys won five of the last six to end the year. You've won three to start this year. How much can we say is that on Warren Hill? A lot of it, you know, it's uh, it's the goaltenders league. You know, if you're if your goalie's making some saves then you're going to have a shot at winning it at the end. And, you know, when he came in, he made some saves that we needed. And, uh, you know, we start rolling. And this season, the start of this season, you know, uh, this last week's last game against Buffalo, we started off kind of slow. And, you know, he held us in there for a while. And he makes the saves that when we need it. Um, and that's all you can ask there for as a goalie. As this team has gotten closer together, how has Micah Kersey adapted to being the new captain of the ship, I think I think he's uh, been doing some job. You know, he's been a leader every everywhere he's went, from you know playing wise, um, right up to coaching wise. He's a, he's a good mentor. I think uh, I think that that role that he has, uh, you know, away from the game, being a teacher or a guidance counselor, I think he's he's able to you know to see to see people, see how they how they are and if they need a little kick in the butt or if they need a little arm around the shoulder. Um, you know, he's a great leader and, you know, guys love playing for him because of, because he is that kind of guy. He knows, uh, he knows when to, when to stir it up and he knows when to, you know, kind of lay back and, and be a little bit more mellow. So I think he's doing an awesome job with us, especially our, you know, our young group that we have young, young core of, uh, of, of players, of, of stars that we got. Um, you know, you got to nurture these guys a little bit different. I think he knows that from his teaching and his guidance counseling uh, abilities. So I think he's doing a great job. When I had Mike on the podcast uh, during the summer, when, when the news was announced that he was going to be the head coach, he was talking about going on the on the trip with Kurt up the river, um, and he was afraid he was going to get dunked into the river by Kurt. How was your experience uh, in in the canoe and, and just you talk about the medicine of lacrosse? That had to have been pretty spiritually healing being on that canoe and, and just out in nature with Kurt. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had a lot of experience with Kurt actually, you know, of course. Not, you know, not on the canoe, but you know, throughout, throughout the years. And, uh, he's pretty, he's a pretty special guy. He, he, uh, you know, very, very, very intuitive. He, he thinks, uh, you know, very hard on, on what he says and, you know, and, and stuff that, uh, comes out of his mouth. So, um, you know, when he said uh, when he said he wanted to do this, I was one of the first people he started talking to it about talking about to uh, to me. He started talking to me about doing this trip, and I thought he was crazy. But you know, lo and behold, he, he made it, and 
you know, it was pretty special. Um, you know, the day the launch the, at, from his house there, that was a pretty special and pretty emotional. Um, I, you know, I went there obviously not thinking, uh, not thinking anything, but um, you know, watching him, watching him push out and into the creek behind his house. You know, a, a creek that I grew up, you know, playing on in the winter time, skating on, um, you know, hanging out around and seeing him start that trek. I, you know, it was a little bit of emotional for everybody to see uh, to see him do it and. You know, I think in the back of everybody's heads, they kind of didn't expect him to go that far and to and to kind of be stuck by by something. But you know, it's uh, that's not Kurt's way. He once he starts it, he's gonna he's gonna go all the way. So it was a it was amazing uh, amazing journey for him and for the people that uh, that helped him out. And the day in Halifax was uh, was special. You know, seeing him roll in and seeing the smile on his face, uh, you know, meant meant the world. How have the faces in Halifax accepted the game of lacrosse? Because, you know, it's a, a market that lacrosse hasn't been a big sport for quite a long time. Obviously, Chet Kinesny and, and Nova Scotia lacrosse have done some great work building the sport up. But now you guys are there. How have they taken to it? It's, it's, it's been hit and miss. Um, you know, it, it, I think everybody's excited. But just like any sport or any new any new attraction, you know, it's uh, you know I think they – we had a great turnout for the for the inter squad game, but I just think you know people's budgets nowadays they they can't really afford to check out you know something new or or they already bought season tickets to the Moosehead Hockey, um, which is a big deal there and everybody supports them. So when we're out and about the town, everybody kind of knows us and has heard of us and. Uh, you know, and it's a, oh, I got to get to a game. I got to get to a game. So that's going to be the biggest thing is just trying to make them get to a game. They're, uh, you know, they say not this week. You know, maybe the next week when I got money. Um, just like every other place, you know, uh, a lot of the times your money's all tied up, or you know, you you got a budget and you got a plan. So um, once we get them, once we get them in the door, I think they're going to see. And I think you know, this first year, um, a lot of a lot of our would-be fans are their money's tied up. So I think next year will really be the tilt if they, you know, jump, jump to us and, uh, or stay with the Mooseheads. Uh, you know, I wish, I wish we could both survive and we sh- we could both, you know, prosper. But, um, from the, from talking to the people that I've had, uh, you know, they're going to have to pick one or the other. Obviously having a winning record to start the season has helped create interest from those fans. The big game this weekend against, the Colorado Mammoth, they're three and one. You're three and zero. Oh. Two teams that you know probably fairly similar offense and defense. What do you expect uh, from this game on Saturday night? I think I think we're we're going to be tested. Same with the Buffalo game. You know they're a team that's um, you know been together for a long time, so they they are familiar with each other, and they got uh, you know all goaltending, and that's what kind of starts their team. You know, Dill Ward is one of the best in the league. Um, and I think he, he's the backbone of the team. And when he's on, you know, everybody else plays with that much more confidence, just like every other team in the league. So I think it starts with Dill and, um, you know, their defense getting Coatsy back and um, having Robert Hope back there and Capito. And, you know, the list goes on. I think, you know, they're built, they built their team the right way. Um, their their offense is, is offense by committee, just, just like ours, um, you know, with, with McLaughlin and, uh, Drew Wade playing lights out right now. Um, we're gonna have our hand, our defense is gonna have our hands full. You know, luckily, like I said, we got Haas back there. 
Um, we've got Supi back. So we feel like we got a team that can compete with everybody. Um, but it'll just come down to, uh, you know, to who shows up that night, to who shows up, who wants it more. There he is, Cody Jameson of the Halifax Thunderbirds. Interesting to hear him talk about not having a wall and making do with what he had. And I think a lot of kids can really learn from that and from the dedication that Cody has shown to his craft because there aren't too many better pure shooters in the game of lacrosse and his twister is probably the most deceptive shot in the game. Nobody throws a twister like 88. He can shoot it from low to high, high to low, sidearm, across his body, in front of the net, running. It doesn't matter. And if you ask a goaltender, when they see Cody Jameson winding up from the outside, if they have any idea where he's going, most will probably say not even a clue because he can change it at the blink of an eye and at the flick of a wrist. And to hear him talk about not having a wall, so he had to use a tree. And he had to make sure he hit that tree in the same spot because if he didn't, the ball was going 30 yards right or 30 yards left or down on the ground or whatever. Challenge yourself. Don't always use a flat surface. Find a brick wall because there are those little seams that make the ball go in different directions that will work on your hand-eye coordination, that will work on your reaction time. A great learning lesson for all you young kids out there. Don't just find the flattest surface possible. Change it up. Give yourself something to work on and challenge yourself. Because if you're not challenging yourself, then you're making the mundane routine and that is not helping you get better. Thanks to Cody for always being open and honest and willing to talk and wish them the best of luck this weekend against the Colorado Mammoth. They'll play Saturday 6 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. local time. That's 3 o'clock for me out here on the West Coast. I'm going to be on the couch, feet up, the beer in my hand, probably a airgate lager. I'm going to sit back and watch some afternoon lacrosse here on the West Coast as the Mammoth and Thunderbirds go to task. And that is one of the unofficial games of the week, because I think that is going to be a doozy, 3-0 versus 3-1. Another one of the games of the week is going to go down on Sunday, and that is the Rush taking on the Seals. And that will be a fantastic contest Sunday afternoon. And for both those clubs, a bit of a proving point, because both have had early season struggles, especially... San Diego, but they're trying to find some strengths, trying to find some cohesion, trying to find some momentum. And I think Sunday is a big game for both of those clubs. But week seven starts on Friday night as the Vancouver Warriors try to snap a two game losing streak as they head out for their second road game of the season to Philadelphia to take on the Wings. Wings have won back to back games trying to win three games in a row for the first time in new franchise history. And as much as this is a big game for Vancouver, I think it's a big game for Philadelphia as well, out of market, out of division. And a Friday nighter. 
The Wings were at the Flyers game on Wednesday night trying to help promote as this is their inaugural home opener. I guess it's not inaugural, their home opener. So they're trying to drum up some business, trying to get some fan support, trying to get some energy into that building. I think they'll get a pretty good crowd. They're they're off to a pretty decent start this year. But they have to keep winning. And we continue to talk about this week in and week out. For the teams that are struggling attendance-wise, the only way to fix that is to win games. And if Philadelphia can find a win here against Vancouver, they can climb themselves up that East standings because New England and Georgia are at the top, but the way Philadelphia is playing right now, they're right there. Fortunately for the Riptide, they're slowly falling further and further back, 0-5 to start the season as they struggle as an expansion club. But for the Wings, this win could go a really long way in not only positioning themselves moving forward, but for confidence. And if you listen to the show last week when we had Ian Rubel on, he talked about how they were having troubles last year winning those one and two goal games. And they would lose fourth quarter leads and not be able to get them back. Well, they beat Calgary in a one goal game. They blew a lead in the fourth quarter against New York only to regain it and hold on for the win. So they're starting to find ways through experience to overcome those adversities and those crutches. So this is a massive game for the Wings to maybe assert some dominance and to show everybody that they're not the team they were last year. Obviously, adding Vitarelli has helped. Getting Brett Hickey back has helped. Another strong season for Josh Courier. He's starting to find his way. Matt Rambo is getting more comfortable. Blaze Reardon is starting to blossom as an emerging star in our league. But more importantly, that Wings defense has started to find some consistency and some rhythm, and a lot of that has to do with the play of Zach Higgins between the pipes. But Vancouver is coming to town, coming off a tough loss to the Seals two weeks ago in overtime. The loss to Colorado, where they jumped out to that huge lead, but just kind of seemed to take their foot off the gas and were never able to regain momentum. So now that they are on the road again, going nearly across the country to take on the wings, this could be a huge game for them within that locker room. Confidence. They can get that losing taste out of their mouth. They can fill it with cheesesteaks. But the focus has to be on a full 60 minutes. And that was one thing that Chris Gill stressed to me when I talked to him before the Colorado game was that he likes so many parts of his team's game. He likes the way his defense plays. He likes the way his offense has played. His goaltenders have been giving him quality minutes. But they just haven't been able to put it all on the same page all at the same time. And with Joel McCready now healthy and back in the lineup, they add a little bit of grit. They add some more leadership to that locker room and they add a guy who has a whatever it takes attitude to win. He was fired up to play his first game in almost a year 
this past weekend in Colorado. It's been a long road back from an Achilles injury that took him out January 19th of last season. But Joel McCready is back. It's been a long road to get back, but he's endured with a lot of help from family and friends. But the man they call Creed's, one of the greatest teammates in our league, is happy to be back with his club. Near side is Joel McCready, looking, shooting scores! Oh, Joel McCready. He knows the nooks and crannies of this building over his course of time in the MLL, and he finds that in the game is tied at three. Yeah, just like that, Joel McCready spreads himself out. He's way out on the board. He can run a lot of stuff over to the left-hand side. It's a one-on-one opportunity. And Joel McGreedy just gives a jab step, gets up over top of his man. And boy, what a laser to the short side. It was your first game back in almost an entire calendar year. How did the body feel getting back out there? Uh, the body felt great. It was a bit of a milestone there because we've been doing rehab and physio for about a year. And um, I just, I can't thank my uh, my wife and my family enough for supporting me through that. And uh Eric Torch at 40th as well. It was um, it was a long road back to that game, and uh, it was a great milestone to uh, to check off the list there. January 19th of last year is when the injury happened. What was going through your mind uh, when you went down, when you felt the Achilles, and you kind of knew something was wrong? Yeah, no, it felt like somebody got me really good with uh with like a woody to that one of the old wooden sticks right across the calf and then I went to the bench and said who was that man I was like no one and I really didn't believe it till I saw film but no one was around me and uh yeah the uh the tendon had ruptured there this is a the Achilles injury is something we're seeing more and more in the world of sports you know um, Reese Dutch has gone through it yourself is going through it uh, we saw Kawhi it happened to him why do you think is it because of we're such an explosive sport that we're starting to see more and more Achilles injuries? Uh, I, yeah, I agree with that for sure. I think just everyone's training has really amped up and guys are stronger and faster. And it's, it's become a year-round um, full-time sport to play and everybody's training so hard and pushing the limits further and further. And uh, uh, One thing I will say about that, though, is it's still got that small community feel in lacrosse where when something happens, everybody who uh, it doesn't matter what team they're on or what has happened on the floor between the two, you, a lot of guys reach out to you and make sure uh, you're doing all right and they give you their best. And uh, guys that have been through injuries like that, they help you out and let you know that uh, it, it's going to be all right and it's just a battle to get through it. The the road to recovery is always a long journey. How were, how were you able to get through some of those low moments where you're you're wishing you're back on the floor. You're wishing you could do more for your wife and your kids and that work. Instead, you're just stuck on the couch. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll go back to what I said at the start. It was uh, my wife and my family, the kids, and uh, and Jess, they, they got me through it like 100%. So <laughs> without their support, it would have been way harder. And uh, they just every day, just lots of love, right? And uh, teammates, too, and the Warriors and everyone, they uh they helped out and reached out to me and uh but the big thing was family and just and I mean like when you, when you get home your kids are laughing and they say love you dad it's really nothing else matters so <laughs> it kind of makes you get up and uh just get the thing better and when I could pick them up and spin them around all was right in the world again. <laughs>
obviously getting bats out on the floor was a big milestone, like you said. But those first few practices, did you have to take your time with the body to make sure that you're 100%? Yeah, Eric Torcha um, through 40s in Burnaby here. He, he's we've really done a gradual return to running, and you pretty much have to learn to walk and learn to run again. And uh, he's done a very great. And I mean, yeah, it must have been difficult for him because uh, I'm a difficult patient, and I always kind of want to do more and push it further. But he probably the hardest thing was taking a step back and realizing it is gradual and you just kind of need to take it one day at a time and not, uh, not jump ahead of yourself or you could even set the clock back more. Was there ever a time where you thought that you were ready and, and he was like, Nope, not, not quite yet. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, summer ball. I was asking if I could get out there and he's like, are you crazy? And, <laughs> but, uh, no, there was quite a few times where I was like, I'm ready. You gotta, you gotta go. And, um, there's probably a few people in here asking him if, if I was ready to go and he, he stuck to his guns and I really respect that about Eric and uh, he just said no we're gonna we're gonna do this the proper way and uh, take as much time needed to uh, to get it and just make sure it's good for everything else to um, be on the cross. So you have to sit out and watch the first three games obviously a very tough standpoint to be able to do that when you know that you could be playing and you got to sit back and watch but what did you learn about your team sitting out and watching those first three games yeah you learn a lot just uh sitting back and watching and you get a different viewpoint of the game for sure and uh i mean that's uh san diego won in overtime that was tight and um we came out hot against colorado this weekend and um the the good win there against new york and now we're traveling to philly and um, it's really just going to come down to uh, to bearing down and winning those close games. I mean, uh, we're we're coasting, we're fighting in every one, and uh, we just gotta we're, we gotta learn to lock them out and uh, and come out with the two points. What do you like about the makeup of this team? Because you've been with this Warriors club for a few years now. What do you like about how Dan Richardson has positioned you guys moving forward? It's a great culture there, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Everybody's everybody's there and everyone's real respectful and there's really no me, me, me guys. It's uh, it's just a team atmosphere and it's really good. And um, everybody just wants uh, to help each other out. And we're, we're all, we're all focused and, um, and trying as hard as we can to get, uh, get in the gym, get in, in the film work in and, um, and get, and get a winning season going here. And then uh, sky's the limit after that. Philadelphia, as you mentioned, is the next up for you guys this weekend on the road. You guys are playing back-to-back road games for the first time this season. How how nice is it to get out on the road with the guys and then just spend some time with the group? Oh, it's great. You see some of the young guys, uh, and they they kind of see what uh, what it's like out on the road and the bus trips and the flights and the hotels and everything. And you're uh, it's it's real good bonding for uh, for teams. You get to go out to dinner together and everything, and uh, lots of laughs and good times. And really, I mean, at the end of the day, that's like one of the best parts about playing lacrosse is the friendships you make and just kind of seeing guys go through the way. And it takes you back to when you were here your first few years in the league there, and uh, just how how cool it is and everything. And uh, I, road games are definitely a great bonding experience, and. Uh, you learn to battle a bit of adversity too, because it never goes as smooth as everybody wants it to go. But you get through it, and uh, big sometimes a big road win can can really build quite a bit for your team. 
let's go back to your first couple of years in the league, 2009, 2010. You're a member of the Nighthawks. What do you remember about being a rookie back then? Uh, I just remember, like, some of the veterans and just how uh, how great they were bringing you in with open arms. And, uh, I mean, there was um, in Rochester, there were big guys, Sean Williams there. He, he Like, uh, just when you're coming in, he was with John Grant and Toller there. They just uh, welcome you with open arms and kind of make sure to keep it fun. They have quite a bit of fun with you and keep you guessing, too. But, uh, but it's great. And then uh, got to play with Pat there. He was always uh, my uncle. He was always helping out and having fun and just always said make sure you're always a real good team guy and keep everybody close and having fun and that'll equal to success and uh and then those next few years we had some success which was which was great those probably my highlight of the career there and then uh just chasing that feeling now <laughs> absolutely the, the chase is always on you mentioned your uncle pat mccready and telling you to always be a good teammate you've been nominated and won the teammate of the year award a couple times how much does that mean to you that you're being recognized by your fellow teammates that means the world it's uh it's huge just because we all uh we all put in so much time uh like from the families and from work and other commitments to uh to go towards lacrosse and uh it means a lot when you're recognized by all the fellas because uh and uh, when they think of you like that, it just uh, it's, it's pretty special, I won't lie. Saturday night in Colorado, there was a, an emotional moment before the game where a family came out for the ceremonial face-off. They lost uh, their husband and father in a firefighting accident on duty. You being a firefighter, how much does seeing a moment like that resonate? Oh, big time. I, I, I felt terrible for that family and, uh, and wished them the best in a truly difficult time. It's uh, that's always tough to hear about, and uh, you, like it, the fire community as well, really comes together in tough times. And I mean, you can't really make a situation like that better, but uh, everyone's there to help. And uh, whenever something like that, it's it's true. Um, teamwork and everybody comes in and uh, helps out wherever they can. But definitely, that was uh, that was a tough one, and uh, I, I wish my best to uh, to the family there. We always talk about firefighting and lacrosse, how there's that parallel between, you know, teamwork and family and friendship and having each other's back. What What is the big asset between the two for you? Uh, I'd say it, it really just, uh, it, it, it allows you just to kind of, you, you're, you're a part of something bigger than yourself and uh, keeps you humble and keeps you, uh, keeps you focused on just uh whatever you do is for to, to better the group right and uh they are very similar and uh it's i mean i love them both very much and i'm very fortunate to be able to do both those things five your next seven on the road how important is you guys like you mentioned earlier to start getting some wins under your belt getting into the middle part of the season it's huge it, it's absolutely huge it's uh it's almost like in in my mind like enough's enough here and we need to we need to start getting the getting the wins and closing out these close games, and not even really, um, not even really letting it get close. We gotta kind of build some road wins here, and then uh, it'll really come together as a team. And then it'll garner that that uh, that feeling of when you're showing up to the rink, you know you're you're gonna come in and you're gonna win that game. You just have that confidence. There's no better feeling. Let's look in the crystal ball real quick. February 22nd, Miramar Air Force Base. How cool is that experience going to be? 
Oh, that one's going to be great. We're uh, the family's all going to come on that road trip, and uh, we're going to make a little trip out of it. And uh, that's going to be really cool. That one, uh, when we heard about that, everyone was real excited, and uh, it just shows you too the way that this league's going. It's uh, it's pretty exciting, all the momentum and uh, and press that it's getting, and uh, it's definitely the sport going in the right way. That's Joel McCready of the Vancouver Warriors, and that's right, February 22nd, Warriors and Seals at the Miramar Air Force Base. The Rumble on the runway, first professional sport game ever played on an Air Force. Tarmac, what an exciting moment that is going to be for the players, fans, servicemen and women, all those who are going to be involved. And if you can get there and you're able to get a ticket, I am very jealous. Speaking of jealous, Vegas is coming soon in less than a month. Seals and Mammoth at Orleans Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm going. It's official. Uh, I will be a part of the National Lacrosse League's pre, post, and halftime shows along with Devin Caney. Uh, It is going to be an absolute blast to be down there in Sin City for a historic game. Between the Mammoth and the Seals, a West Division clash. First pro lacrosse game ever in Vegas. So I'm excited and to be there and thankful that the National Lacrosse League has asked me to be a part of the festivities. So if you're going to be down there, I look forward to seeing you and look forward to experiencing Vegas with all of the National Lacrosse League fans. So as we head into week seven of the National Cross. We've already kind of touched base on two games. Friday night, Wings, Warriors. Sunday, Rush, Seals. We've also talked a little bit about the Halifax, Colorado game. But there are still two other games in the National Lacrosse League this weekend, and they're both on Saturday. Rochester visits Toronto for the first time, even though they've, as a Nighthawk team, they've been there many, many times over the years. But as this Nighthawks version, the first time Toronto and Rochester will go to battle in Toronto. And then Georgia at Buffalo, what used to be a fantastic East Division matchup, is now a East versus North intra-divisional matchup. But nonetheless, it is going to be a heck of a lacrosse game between these two clubs that have a long history of great games against each other. Mike Poulin versus Matt Vince. Dane Smith versus Lyle Thompson. The fast-paced Swarm D versus the ultra-physical and aggressive Buffalo D. It should be an absolute beauty. And I think, truly, all four... Five games, quick math, all five games this weekend have potential to be games of the week. But the game of the week on the National Lacrosse League side of things is Toronto and Rochester. You can watch that game live online on Twitter, Facebook, BR Live, and of course all the National Lacrosse League social channels. So make sure you've either got your subscription to BR Live for the whole weekend and watch all the games Or if you're only going to watch the games of the week, make sure you're near a computer for that game between Rochester and Toronto. But before we get to our final guest, Rich List, two topics in the National Cross League I just kind of want to touch on. One is we talked about the schedule and the amount of breaks many times on this show already this season. 
And with a 22-week schedule, and we're approaching week seven, that means, instant math, we've had six weeks. But the Buffalo Bandits have only played twice. Twice. There is no way a team can really get any kind of momentum or cohesion or chemistry when you're only playing twice in the opening six weeks of the season. And because of the way that the CBA is structured, it's not like they can practice every single week that they're off because you're only allowed, I believe, 18 practices. So if you have a practice on a bye week, that takes away a practice somewhere further on down your schedule. Now, for Buffalo, they do tend to practice midweek at the ILA. So it's not like they're too worried about practices the night before game. So if they have a tough doubleheader weekend one trip or a just a tough travel trip, like when they're going to Colorado in a couple weeks, they may not practice that week. So they can alleviate some of the issues that way. But still, when we're getting to the second, third week of January and the Bandits are 500, but they're only one and one, it's kind of strange to see, especially when a team like New York has already played five times. And so Tyson Geik asked me about parity on the lacrosse flash this week. And sure, there, there still is some parity, but we're also starting to see a little bit of the gap between the haves and the have-nots, the top and the bottom of the league. And every time we bring in more expansion teams, the gap is going to get wider between the top and the bottom because the expansion teams are going to continue to struggle. But when a team has only played twice in the first six weeks, it's hard to talk about if there is or isn't parity until we get all these teams sort of on an equal playing field. So for the Buffalo Bandits, welcome back. Good luck over the next 18 we- 16 weeks or whatever it is of the season because you're going to have to play 16 games within those 15 or 16 weeks. The other team that we need to talk about are the Colorado Mammoth and how they continue to find ways to win. This isn't a team that is going to put up 16, 17, 18 on average. They're a 11 to 14 type group. Where they have strengths, obviously, is their defense through their transition game, and that really showed up in that Vancouver contest where they were getting goals from Coates and Gillis and Capito, all in transition. And as we heard Jacob Rue talk about last week on the show, when their transition and defensive guys start scoring, it can really spark that offense in Colorado. And they're finding ways to win. They don't allow teams to get too far out in front of them. They keep their composure. They don't get too high. They don't get too low. And they're able to grind out wins. They've now won three straight. If it wasn't for a tough loss against Saskatchewan in that home opener, they could be 4-0. Or vice versa, if it wasn't for a couple amazing performances by Dylan Ward, they could be 1-3. That's just how crazy the National Lacrosse League is. But when you can put it all together, and we kind of talked about this with Vancouver, 
When one side of the ball isn't going, you need the other side to pick it up, and that's what Colorado has done so well this year. When the defense has struggled, the offense really rallied. When the offense has struggled, Dylan Ward and the defense picked him up and got them going. And Saturday night, in one of the wildest games I've seen in a while, Colorado didn't let it get to them. Even after pulling Dylan Ward, even after being down four early in that second quarter, they just kept their heads down, went about their business, and clawed their way back. An incredible performance, and it was an incredible night. I got to meet Al Snow and D'Lo Brown. I got to escort Wooly to the ring for the Royal Rumble. An amazing night. I absolutely loved it. And why I segue from wrestling to Rich Lisk is because he and I always talk wrestling on this show. And for the New England Black Wolves, this is a major loss for them. Because Rich Lisk has been with that franchise for the past eight years. He has helped mold them into a contender in the National Lacrosse League. And he has done a great job in bringing that program back from infamy. And really created a great scene in New England within that casino and within that locker room because those guys are playing some incredible lacrosse and have been built very, very well. So with Rich Lisk leaving the Black Wolves and going to New York to join GF Sports, which is the parent company that owns the New York Riptide, It's a loss for the Black Wolves, but a gain for the Tide and for GF Sports, but also an opportunity for a great man to continue growing his personal wealth, his personal portfolio, and his personal brand, because Rich Lisk is an incredible, incredible person, a great visionary, and a guy that never settles. He always wants to be moving, and he always wants to be growing. Rich Lisk right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast talking about New York, relationships, wrestling, and what he's going to miss most about New England. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. So let's kind of break things down. You were with the Black Wolves, and then out of the blue, we find that you're, air quotes, jumping ship to uh, (laughs) GF Sports, the, the parent company for the New York Riptide. How did this all come about? You know what? It's uh, it was one of those things that just kind of fell into um, the. It was a perfect circumstance in a way between friends. I have a good friend. Um, his name is Sean. Um, Sean was doing some work with GF GF Sports, and uh, we met for breakfast. And um, he said, you know, hey, we might be this might come up, and what do you think and stuff? And I said, listen, I, I really, it's interesting. Believe me, it's interesting. But uh, you know, let's go through the proper channels. So they uh, they contacted. Uh, Mike French and Brad Brewster, and um, they said, you know, can we talk to Rich? And he said, yeah, we can talk to Rich. And next thing you know, we started talking and putting together. And and when Sean laid it out for me, it was, it's honestly, it's a, uh, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. It was a, it was a life changing offer for me and my family, and and it got me into an opportunity to do some other things. And and still, um, they own a, a national lacrosse league team, and I love the league, and, and I've been in the league a long time. I was just looking back on it. It's been eight years, um, two in Philly and six here. So um, it, it, that was enticing to me a little bit, too, to stay in the league. And then, But the, the real aspect of it was um, what GF Sports is doing, and, and their ownership group is tremendous, and Gary Thurman and Eric Baker 
have um, their vision is what they want to do is is really cool and really exciting, and they have all these other events that they're doing, and it gives me the opportunity to uh, to, to branch out and do different things. And if I'm not if I'm not growing and 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 and, and being challenged, then I become stagnant. I, I can't come, become stagnant. It's just not who the person I am. Hence, why you run marathons. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I appreciate that. I don't know. If, I don't know what you call it. I do running. I mean, I'm in them and I finish them. But I, I guess, yeah, I guess it is running at some point. So, so what is your new role with GF Sports, and how closely will you be tied to the Riptide? Well, I'm, I'm the executive vice president of GF Sports, and one of the entities they own is the Riptide. Um, I'm now assessing and, and coming in and, and working on the business side of things for them and, and really looking at that part of it. And Reggie is the GM. I mean, I know a lot of people have asked me questions about that. Reggie is the GM, and he runs the, he runs the lacrosse side of things, and, and that's great. And, and Reggie and I have a good relationship, and we get along really well. Um, I'm trying to strategically position them on the business side of things and and make sure that they uh, they have set all the parameters and set the uh, marketing plans that they want to set and reach all the goals they want to reach. And that's what we're really working on right now. What do you think the the biggest hurdles are going to be for for them in that market? You know what? I think I think it's one of these things where I don't know if there are many hurdles because. It's such a rich lacrosse market. I mean, if you look at it, there's pockets in the country that have the best lacrosse markets, and Long Island is one of them. If not, some people would argue it's the best lacrosse market in the the whole country. And I think that is such a huge, huge, huge asset. Now, being a new team, being a new staff, understanding that, how it all works, that's probably a little bit of a hurdle, but I've been there before. We had 10 weeks to put together the New England Black Wolves. So I get what that means, and I get how to, how to get over those hurdles. Now I think it's just kind of wrapping your arms around the whole thing, embracing it, getting everyone to understand the culture that we're going to create here, and, and selling this product. And, and, and this product can be sold in this marketplace. It's, a, it's got a rich history of sports in this marketplace, and it's got a lot of people that live on this island. I mean, I didn't, I'm from Jersey, so I know Jersey, and I'm starting to learn Long Island, and it's it's only 12 miles wide, but there's a lot of people that live here. There's a lot of traffic. So those people need entertainment options. And that's really what we're, we're, we're going to try to create here is that family of four, you know, and, and not going to a movie or, or not going to see this, but coming here to see us and having a good time. And if they come into the arena and they have um, been entertained and they ate really well and they enjoyed themselves and they walk out of the arena happy, then then they've done our job. We've done our job, and that's what we're kind of that's what we're kind of working for right now. There might be some concerns from outside people looking in, looking at the Riptide, that being a part of GF Sports, a sort of a global partner, they might kind of get left behind being the the new kid on the block. How important is it to match the Riptide with other entities that GF Sports has? You know, there's going to be some good synergies. You know, we run the New York Open, which is also here at Nassau Coliseum. Um, so there's a good synergies on that and across promotions that, that can work. We're uh, looking to get another event with the American Kennel Club that will run out of New York City um, for the first year. And there's going to be some good cross promotion back there. I look at it all as opportunities. And that is and, that, and, and that's what you want in this business is opportunities to expose your product to different people. 
and through GF Sports and the way they integrate everything together, it's the perfect cross promotion. They're perfect cross opportunities to do that. Do you think that the Islanders and Riptide will ever be true partners? It's a good question. I mean, I, I listen, I have a hockey background for seven years. I was with the Trenton Titans in the East Coast League, and the Islanders were my affiliate at one point. And, um, and I also had a relationship, a very uh, a loose relationship with the Devils when Lou Lamarillo ran it, and we put some of his players here too. So um, could there be a relationship there? I don't close the door on anything. I think our, our sports are so closely aligned between hockey and lacrosse, and they got a lot of players that played lacrosse, and we got a lot of players that played hockey. It, might, it makes some sense. Um, that maybe that's week two that I start doing that part. But right now I'm getting my seat wet on these other things. When you look back at, at your six years in New England and, and the two when you guys were still in Philadelphia, what are some of the memories that stand out that you'll always look back on? You know what? And I don't want to uh, I don't want to get emotional on this one because it's been a very emotional couple of weeks, and um, I think I've uh, I've had more emotions these last couple of weeks than I've had in a very long time. Um, it's a spe- it was a special time, and it was a time in my life that. Um, I will never forget. It's a time in my life that will be very, very high on my, uh, on when, when you go back through life and look at it, um, this time, those eight years will be very special. And I'm extremely, extremely grateful for Gary Furman and Eric Baker to put their trust in, in me to come over here and work with them. But I would be totally remiss if I didn't, uh, if I didn't thank some people too. And, and I've been doing that as we've been, as these couple of weeks have been going on. And, um, you know, in, in Philadelphia, um, we, had, we had a great ownership group, and we still have a great ownership group here. But, you know, we got sold, and we went to Mohegan Sun. And I got to thank Mohegan Sun for putting their trust in the guy that they didn't know the first year. And um, they were set with the WNBA, and they got this new team, and we had 10 weeks to put it together. But they opened their arms and said, let's work together, and they did it. And I worked with some really good people over there, from like Kevin Brown and Mitchell Edis and, and Chris Sienko when he was there at the beginning. And then they brought in Amber Cox, who I think really, you know, she, she put her stamp on it and she turned that organization around on the, on the business side for us and has done a great, great job. And she, I, I wrote on her Twitter thing today, I couldn't have asked for a better partner in crime to join hand in hand with on the business and the lacrosse side. And, um, and then on the, on the other side, you know, we had our ownership group with uh, Mike French and Brad Brewster and Ted Goldthorpe. And, and I got brought into the organization by Brad and uh, met everybody, and, and I'm indebted to him for that. And Ted was always a great confidant that we could talk to and, uh, and, and figure things out and looked at it from a different angle. Um, but I will tell you, there's a few people there that uh, are very, very near and dear to my heart. And Mike French is, uh, is one of them. And he is uh, he's a tremendous human being. He certainly is. And that'll be, the, and that'll be the hardest. Yeah. But, but you get to be reunited with your good friend, Jen. Exactly. <laughs> so there's there's some exactly. good to the bad. No, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of great things. And again, with Mike, it's uh, I think the league itself too. You know, there's a guy that's been around for day one, right? Mm-hmm. Mike French has been in this league at some sort of way since day one, and uh, the league owes him a lot. The league owes him a lot, and uh, you know, you walk away with that as saying I made a good friend. I made a father figure. Hey, I know he's going to be mad when I say that because I'm not that too far off from his age. But to me, he's a, he's a father figure and he's been a confidant. 
and that's been great. And you develop relationships in this league, and they don't go away. They just change a little bit, right? So I don't mm-hmm. see them and talk to them every single day, but the ones that you want to keep in your life, you keep in your life. And like you said, I got reunited with Jen. It was funny. I was walking through the office today singing Peaches and Herb reunited, and uh, she started laughing. Not many people younger than me will understand what that song is, but it was, uh, it, w- it was funny. And Jen's done a great job for us in New England, and I'm looking forward to working with her again. How nice has it been to see some of the, the comments from players that you've worked with? I know Brent Manny uh, posted something for you on Twitter. I know some of the other guys have as well. You talked about the relationships with, with the front office staff, but the relationships with those players being a general manager is something that will be bonded forever. Absolutely. Guys like Brett, like, uh, again, eight years. There was a lot of tears mm-hmm. between Brett and I when I told him. And uh, he's always going to be uh, – He's El Capitone to me. And every time I'd see him, and I will tell a story about Brett. Like, people ask me, you know, what kind of person is he? I'd say every trade deadline and every cut day, he would call me at about 7, 8 o'clock at night and just ask how I was doing. And uh, he was good with that. Um, he is, I told you I, wasn't, I didn't want to get emotional. Like you said, this is a, a real tough, a real tough moment for you. You kind of made that New England team your baby. Um, it's been a part of your life for, for quite a long time with the Wings and the Black Wolves. And uh, there's no there's no reason not to be emotional because it was a pretty big part of your life, sir. And, and we thank you for everything you did. And we know that you're going to do great stuff with GF Sports. And you're always a friend of the show and you're always welcome on the show. And I know that anytime we get together, we're going to have a beer and talk wrestling. And it's going to be great. Yeah, ask me about wrestling. I don't ask me about wrestling. I don't get that emotional about that one. <laughs> well, okay. Let's let's talk. What are your memories of a guy like Al Snow? Yeah, Al Snow was there after I was there, so I didn't really know him that well. Um, but everybody in the business talks about how great of a person he is, and I've never heard anyone say anything bad about him. So he was he was great. I really got to, and we might have talked about this before. I really got a chance to get close with a guy like Kevin Nash. Mm-hmm. and Owen Hart and Bret Hart. And when Tracy Kowalski was uh, inducted into the Calgary Hall of Fame uh, for the Roughnecks, um, we were up there. It was great that they did it when we played. Yeah. And uh, Bret and Tracy are very, very good friends. So I got a chance to see Bret. And that was a great moment for me because he and I just sat and talked about memories. And you start to think, like, do I remember this the same way someone else might remember it? And when he was saying something and I was finishing the sentence, or I was saying something and he was finishing the sentence, you're like, yeah, you know what? That really did happen. And that was a fun time. And I got a chance to know him and his family. And it was, you know, those things, uh, those things mean a lot. Those things mean a lot. He's a special human being too. He was a great, great person. And uh, he went through a lot in wrestling, you know, he's been through a lot with what's happened with his brother and stuff like that. And I was close with, with, um, with Owen, Owen's son, Oge, and my son, Bump, were born at the same time. We used to laugh and joke that he named the kid Oge, and I named one Bump. So uh, <laughs> not your typical names. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was fun. And then, you know, guys like Kevin, who I had a chance to travel with exclusively for a year, and uh, we were going to make him the next Hulk Hogan. So I was his handler. So I went everywhere he went, I went. And I got to know Kevin really well. And, again, one of the funniest men I've ever met. And yeah, I you're Six foot eleven and three hundred and sixty nine pounds. I guess people think you're funny, but he's really funny. 
<laughs> I got to meet uh, uh, Al Snow and D'Lo Brown this weekend in, in Denver. I saw that. The Mammoth had the Rumble at the Loud House, which is an incredible event. And that was a, a really cool experience for me because we are, like people who are wrestling fans are, are always going to be fans of the sport and fans of the athletes. And any chance you get to meet them, it's, it's an amazing moment. But the best thing is they're so personable. They always have time for fans. They always will take a minute to, to recount stories or, or talk about things. And it was just a, a really, really special night. You talk about, and I'm, I'm so glad you said that, like people call them entertainers, and they are, um, and they are, um, but they're athletes. But boy, do they know how to take care of the fans. Mm-hmm. And I look at some professional sports, and I'm like, you should take a page from their book because their guys will have every reason in the world to be grumpy at times, right? You wrestle, you get in the car, you drive to the next town, you stay in a hotel, you wrestle, you drive to the next town. Like they're on the road a lot and they're not taking private jets and they're not doing all that stuff and, and they're not eating the way they should all the time. And they're trying to find the gyms and would it be easy for them just to blow off someone for an autograph or a picture or a story? Absolutely. And I would almost say, you know what? I get it. The guy's tired, but they never do. Yeah. They never do. Kevin and I, he'd be exhausted. He'd be like, Rich, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to talk to these kids and stuff. And I'd be like, yep, we'll wait for you 10 minutes. And if we were 10 minutes late for something because of that, it went a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think lacrosse guys are starting to understand that as well. And I think that's one of the cool things that, that we do in our league is have the post-game autograph sessions on the turf where kids can come on and get autographs. And there are some guys that will stay out there to the bitter end you know you'll get the odd guy that either won't go out or or sign maybe one or two and then head back in the locker room because he wants to do the post game stuff but there are some guys that will take every minute to make sure every kid has been talked to and had an autograph and those moments go so much further than the ideas of just being an athlete to a fan Absolutely. If you ever walked around Mohegan Sun with Brett Manny, you'd understand that in a second. And our guys, you know, they stayed at the uh, at the hotel. Like the Black Wolves stay at the hotel, and and this year we're, we've moved them into apartments and things. But in the past, they would stay in the hotel. And there's easy ways to take back entrances and back doors and stuff like that to get to the arena. And you're in game mode and stuff. And you know what? Every one of our guys would be like, nope, we're going to walk right through the casino. We're going to walk right through the lobby, and we're going to meet the fans and do all that on the way into the on the way into the arena. And they got their Starbucks coffee and they got their suits on and they'd walk and take pictures with the guy, with the kids before the game. And, and that goes a long, long way, a long, long way. And you're right. It is. It, it, uh, I, I tell you, I've been in hockey. I've been in wrestling. I've been in lacrosse. And, and um, I, I think the lacrosse players are right at the top. And they've been, they've been great in the way they've represented the sport, the way they represent the NLL. And from my personal stuff with the black wolves the way they represent the black wolves is is more than i could have ever asked them for they well, made my job hope, easier yeah let's hope all those traditions and memories continue over to the riptide and gf sports rich it was uh an incredible run that you had with the black wolves here's to as much success on long island with gf sports and the riptide and you are a true gentleman and i appreciate every moment we've had together sir uh teddy thank you i thank you uh I couldn't appreciate uh, everything you've uh, done for us at the Black Wolves side, and, and I truly enjoy our conversation, so I look forward to our next one. That's Rich Lisk, now of GF Sports, parent company for the New York Riptide, formerly of the New England Black Wolves. And I wasn't trying to make him cry. 
when talking about his relationships in New England with guys like Brett Manning and Mike French. But it just goes to show how closely bonded Rich was with that organization and every part of it. And I'm sure if you take anybody that has put as much time and effort as Rich did into building a contending team, dealing with players and their families and their outside lives, that takes a toll. And then to take all of that away and have to uproot yourself and move on to uh, a different organization, a different team, a different job structure, it's never easy. And to hear him talk about those relationships and how emotional he got about them kind of pulls at your heartstrings a little bit because it just shows how much Rich cared about that group. We wish him nothing but the best. I know he's going to do great things with GF Sports. I know he's going to help with the way the New York Riptide are seen on Long Island and how they're accepted into that city and that culture and that area of sports. It's going to be phenomenal to see. So I wish him nothing but the best. And I do look forward to our next chat because the guy has stories about wrestling that I'll always want to hear. And I know not everybody listening is a big wrestling guy like me. That's cool. But I will always sit down and crack a beer with Mr. Lisk and let him weave yarns about the golden ages of the WWF and the WWE and wrestling as a whole because I'm a wrestling geek and and that stuff just gets me going because I could listen to those stories about the old schoolers all day long. So thanks to Rich, thanks to Joel, thanks to Cody Jameson, and thanks to you, our listeners. Again, if you want to find more shows or go back and listen to this show at another point in time, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and all the episodes are on the lacrosseflash.com slash off the crossbar. Five games this weekend, one Friday, three Saturday, one on Sunday. A full slate of games. Check them out on BR Live. Game of the week, Rochester visiting Toronto free for all on Twitter, Facebook, and Bleacher Report Live. Find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. And until next time, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other. I-